One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Because there's nobody can possibly help me. And this is the problem with psychological distress, Right is that he begins to tell us things that aren't true. Hello and welcome to the Manzilla podcast. Thank you so much for spending your time with us today. I am Gavin and we have got a great show for you coming up and I hope you learn a lot from this one too. We have got Noel McDermott on today's show. He is a psychotherapist. He's got over 25 years experience in the psychotherapist field, which is incredible really when you think about it. A career for 25 years dealing with people's mental health and all sorts of traumatic issues there really so yes in this show we talked to Noel all about the issue of mental well-being in the workplace and what we can expect from the new world after this coronavirus pandemic has effectively shattered everything that we know mental well-being is going to be so paramount to so many of us you know the workplace is going to be a completely new field it already is so new to us now it's changing by the week you know with all the new regulations that are coming out and new guidelines and no one really knows what the future holds effectively in a year from now you know things are going to look extremely different they're already different as we know it homeworking is going to be so much more of a factor so Noel has got a really interesting specialism in um, psychotherapy he deals with a lot of workplace related mental health issues and so myself and Cece, Cece joined me on the podcast again to co-host we speak to Noel about all the kinds of issues that we can expect from our mental health in the workplace and in the current economy and what we what we need to think about what we need to do so i really hope that you enjoy this show um and please do subscribe to us at manzilla online on the usual platforms if you're listening on apple google spotify all the usual platforms there are so many of them out there aren't there um just hit that subscribe button if you can and leave us a like or a comment uh in the pages where you're listening to this from that would be really great so without further ado, here's myself, Cece, and Noel McDermott talking about mental health and mental well-being in the workplace for the Manzilla podcast. Hope you enjoy. We are, I think, more equipped now to be able to manage um, damage and problems. 
Um, and I think we have a better understanding and a better range of tools. Um, and we also have uh, a greater degree of insight into it and we can sort of name things and understand them uh, much more. Uh, I would humbly suggest that we are more resilient now in many ways um, because resilience isn't uh, what it used to be, which is stiff upper lip, brittle, strong, um, stand up, uh, overcome. Um, that's resilience is having um, a flexible range of tools and resources that allow you to roll with it uh, and, and deal with uh, what life throws at you. And so I'd say we're actually much more resilient now than we've ever been. Um, and uh, previous generations, so if I think back to say the World War Two generation, uh, which is often looked at. Um, I, I know psychological fact people were absolutely destroyed by those experiences yeah, yeah. and they passed it on to their kids. And I'm dealing with patients who had a, 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 a dreadful experience of their childhood because their dad came back from the war and were, had post-traumatic stress disorder that was undiagnosed and untreated and was appalling because of it. Not because they were an appalling person, but they were just not capable of being a good parent um, and if we'd treated those soldiers we wouldn't have had <clears throat> the damaged generation of children that it produced right for example so um, strength and resilience is something that we are learning have become much better at mm -hmm. and so now for example when we have soldiers coming back we have better resources for them so that it's less likely that somebody leaving the armed forces is going to destroy their children. Yeah. So I would say we are more resilient and stronger um, because of that. Um, but I think people get confused, I think. Um, a, because you get these sort of over-the-hill, middle-aged, overweight blokes talking about snowflake generations who have very little psychological insight themselves and very little to say about it to be honest right. except somebody's given them a platform um in terms of if i think about the young people that i work with now um i think they're extraordinary to be honest mm -hmm. uh, particularly the young men that i work with now are in a so much uh, so much stronger position than i was growing up so i'm you know 53 uh, i remember the 70s and the changes in sort of identity that that brought about and very positive changes in identity. So my dad, for example, you know, um, he, he still is stuck in these very, very limited gender roles. And I remember, you know, he once saw me making some potatoes, getting some potatoes ready for cooking. And he was genuinely shocked and said, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm making some food. He said, well, why are you doing that? And he genuinely didn't understand. And I said, well, I'm hungry. I want some food. What's the issue? Yeah. He said, but, you know, women do that, don't they? And it was like, well, there's, there ain't one here, Dad. I'm hungry. I'm going to have some food. And he yeah. genuinely could not well, step out of that. Now, that's what I was role modelled into. Mm -hmm. And then the change in the 70s happened, which I think were wholly liberating across the board. And if I look at young men now, so there would not be that conversation even entering into it. They're, they're talking about their identities, their roles, um, you know, they're exploring uh, so much more about themselves and they can encompass much more about themselves and they can encompass a complex internal world in a way that I was not modelled into. Mm. Uh, and because of that, they have a range of internal and interpersonal resources and tools that I never was equipped with. And they are much better set up to manage themselves in complex worlds now. Much better set up. 
than, yeah. than previous generations of men. So do we have a snowflake generation? Absolutely not. What we have is much more of a generation that has some greater psychological insight and a greater range of psychological and interpersonal tools. Um, and I'd like to hear from them rather than blokes my age who <laughs> should know better and should shut up, really. On social platforms, there seems to be... Um, there's a lot of hashtags that go around and it's like, it's okay to talk and speak up and ha you know ha hashtag everything you possibly can because it's quite fashionable. Yeah. Have you noticed a difference now that people seem to be speaking more or is this just the hype? Do you see what I'm saying? Okay, so um, there's the sort of Jeremy Kyle approach to speaking more, mm -hmm. which is to encourage entertainment mm -hmm. um, and to encourage what we call oversharing and people spilling their guts and and a focus on the dramatic, internal, pathological, etc., um, which is wholly unhelpful. Uh, in terms of that type of platform, um, it's attracting um, instability and mm. people who have instability mm. and it's marketizing and monetizing that instability mm. uh, and that's a real problem and um, uh, sort of social media platforms uh, in particular things like Instagram are marketizing another form of instability um, which is this uh, perfectionism um, and also um, uh, sort of uh, producing issues around um, dysmorphic approaches mm -hmm. to body mm -hmm. and dysmorphia being where people project onto one small bit of their body uh, a whole series of problems. If only I fix that little bit, whatever mm. it is, then I'll be fine. Mm -hmm. um, which is a, a, a truly horrendously unhealthy approach to take to yourself. I, mean, I can't describe to you how mm. dangerous that is psychologically. Um, so it can promote those types of things. Uh, but the in general, I would say that encouraging people to talk about issues um, is is a good thing but it's as a somebody who's psychologically aware it's also about trying to look at what the safety mechanisms are within that conversation so i, yeah. I give you an example so in trauma uh, for example if somebody has a traumatic experience um, let's do something that's relatively um, easy to understand say you witness a car accident mm -hmm. and you witness a horrific thing and you see uh, bits of body please excuse me if this is triggering to anybody but you see bits of body and you see death and it frightens you it's disgusting it's horrible it stays with you now what we know psychologically is that the last thing in the world you want to be doing is obsessively talking about that mm -hmm. because we have a natural capacity to overcome trauma and so for two weeks roughly we will have quite intense symptoms flashbacks maybe disturbed sleep nightmares intrusive memories those types of things but if we just work through it and carry on with our normal everyday life we'll be fine and when we, if we talk about it if we talk about it to our mates in a natural normal way we'll be fine if however we come to that person and we go, tell me all about it and keep telling me about that experience. Mm -hmm. They keep it in their mind and they can't naturally process. And you do a thing called re-traumatisation. Right. And so the natural capacity to heal that we have, and we, mm -hmm. of course we have that natural capacity because people were having trauma long before psychology was invented. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the human race somehow got through it all. Mm. 
right? So we have these capacities. Yeah. Um, and so if you let people be in that type of situation, the vast majority of people will get over, which is why we have in psychology and psychotherapy, we have this sort of time scale of a couple of weeks. If after a couple of weeks, something is still bothering you, if after a month, something is still generally in trauma, we'd say a month, but um, uh, if after a month, something is still troubling you, still very intense, that's when you need specialist help. In general, um, you know, uh, inviting social animals, i.e. us as humans, to uh, regulate emotionally through conversation which is what we're naturally designed to do, mm -hmm. is a really good idea. And I'll explain why. So when we're born, we have um, these amazing things called brains and frontal lobes. We don't have language and all that sort of stuff. But what we do have is a caregiver who will notice, for example, when we're in distress. They will relate to us in distress. They'll talk to us. They'll make soothing noises. They'll pick us up. They'll rock us or cool us. We'll have skin-to-skin -skin contact. Now, all of that, what it does is it produces hormones in the brain of the infant, uh, which form structures in the frontal lobes of the brain, which we later go on to call personality. Okay? Mm -hmm. And that helps the infant's brains grow. It helps their personality grow. And essentially, that happens in relationship to another human being. So we've done plenty of studies. So we've looked at sort of collective child rearing practices in sort of Russian group homes and things like that. And we've discovered because of their lack of human contact, they just genuinely produce psychopaths and, and sociopaths mm -hmm. and really damage people. But with this human contact, then the frontal lobes, the brain, the personality develops. We remain with that capacity, this neuroplasticity through relationship for the rest of our lives. That is true. And the relationship to other human beings remains fundamentally important to our develop, development for the whole of our lives in exactly the same way. It's more urgent with an infant because they don't have mind, they don't have capacity to care for themselves and they don't have language, etc, etc. As we develop, we develop all these other capacities. But that emotional need to regulate emotionally remains absolutely primal to us for the whole of our lives. Yeah. And that neuroplastic capacity in our frontal lobes remains with us for the rest of our lives. So, in general, getting people to talk about things is absolutely crucial. And we want people to sit down, do what we're doing now, look in each other's eyes mm -hmm. and have conversations. And we want people to have non-sexual physical contact in those conversations, hugs. Mm -hmm. Because that promotes these hormones which promote personality growth, brain development, bonding. And those, those bonds between us, those emo emotional bonds, are what help us regulate throughout our lives. And that's what defines us as social animals. So, yes, I totally agree with the idea of let's get people talking about things more often, uh, particularly during this time when the ability to sit in a room with somebody, which is where all these processes are sort of activated, is being challenged because of the pandemic mm -hmm. and so our sort of everyday capacity to just physically be in the same room as somebody look them in the eye maybe reach out physically touch them maybe they give us a hug or something like that that is reduced at the moment so we need to sort of be maybe more thoughtful mm -hmm. about the environments and situations in which we can get it yeah well yeah yeah Interesting. Oh, it's so many questions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gavin, yeah. you've got our yeah, no, I'll back round, I, but I, I think because, um, you, know, you know, men's mental health and men's well, mental well-being is so yeah. such, uh, you know, a highlighted 
kind of issue, isn't it, these yeah. days, Noel? So um, do you think men are more susceptible then to all these mental health issues? Um, when men it... make up 75% of suicides, bottom yeah. line fact. Yeah, and why do you think that is? Um, for a whole host of reasons. Um, sort of, uh, so just very quickly running through mm-hmm. the reasons. Um, one reason is men tend to downplay early signs of psychological distress um, saying no oh, I can deal with it I can tough it out I'm a snowflake if I don't da, 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 da. Mm. Um, now what we know is, as a fact is that if you do not deal with early signs of psychological distress they will get worse they will not recover on their own so it is sensible to do what we call help seeking behaviour now help seeking behaviour is this I used to be a um, um, a social services manager for my sins and I worked in children's services and adult services so I wrote a lot in child protection for example um, and here's a statement for you which you may or may not like but we actually can't stop children from being harmed that's not possible we can't create a world in which no risk exists because that um, they tried that in various places it doesn't work and you produce very odd human responses life involves a certain amount of calculated risk um, that's true of children as well. And But what we can do is we can teach children this really core thing, which is if something's worrying you and upsetting you, go and talk to somebody and ask for help about it. Mm-hmm. That's the most protect, protective thing you can ever do with a child, right? And then you then train the adults, the trusted adults, to listen to that child and not deny their experience. And mm-hmm. so that when they do the help-seeking behaviour, they get the help. Now, that's a bottom line fact about everything in life that's a risk to us the sooner we notice that risk and the Mm. sooner we ask for help the healthier and the safer we're going to be it's that simple which is why we come back to the thing about the snowflake generation it is so stupid to talk in those terms i can't even begin to touch upon how ridiculous that Mm -hmm. concept is because we know that what protects people that what makes people strong is teaching them early warning signs and then taking action to be careful with themselves because of it. It's a primary thing that men won't do is to recognise early, mild symptoms of psychological distress as what they are, a, a request to do something about it. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Say you get a trauma happens, you get it on your daily life, and if you don't bring it up too much, then So maybe... this is where a psychologist were really important, is we explain these processes to people, all right? And it's really important that, you know, we say to people, here's some knowledge. We call it psych education. 
psychological education and we educate people about it. So the classic signs of psychological stress are your sleep patterns are disturbed, your eating patterns are disturbed, you put on a load of weight suddenly, you drop a load of weight suddenly, your mood shifts suddenly, your use of drugs or drinks goes up suddenly, um, you're losing your temper more often. These are classic signs of psychological distress. And once you teach people that, whenever you have those types of symptoms, go and get help. Right, okay. Go and see a professional who knows mm. what they're talking about and they can assess whether or not you have problems. And what that professional then will do is they'll go, how long has this been going on for? If it's been going on for two or three days, they'll say, what I want you to do is come back. If they're still like this at this intensity, mm -hmm. in three weeks' time, I'll make an appointment for you mm -hmm. and I want you to come back and we'll talk about it. If after three weeks at this appointment I've given you, as far as you can see, it's dropped off, you know, um, you don't feel so intense about them, then you can still come to the appointment and have a chat with me, but probably you're okay. Mm -hmm. Generally, though, what happens is this, is that somebody comes to see me after 15 years of this stuff. Right. So and they're in a deep, dark hole. And with guys in particular, mm. they're so deep in the hole they think there's no way out and so I might as well just top myself jeez man mm. okay that's what happens with guys wow alright mm. and they wait till they're right at the cliff edge and mm. it's like I might as well go over because there's nobody can possibly help me and this is the problem with psychological distress right is that it begins to tell us things that aren't true it tells us there's no way out of this. It tells us I'm not worth anything. I'm mm. a piece of shit. Mm -hmm. I'm the problem. Mm. I might as well get rid of me. If you get rid of me, the world's going to be a better place and so are the people around me. And I'm here to say that's absolute bullshit. That is never true. Mm. That's your illness talking. Mm. Okay? Go and get help if you feel any of those things. Particularly people are having those, what we call suicidal ideation. You know, um, these thoughts about themselves. The world would be better off without me. My life would be better without me. Absolute bullshit. So that's one of the reasons why, guys. Uh, Another reason is um, we all know the concept of um, sort of a cry for help. And that somebody might do something suicidal as a cry for help. And it just tends to be there's a gender difference between the styles of um, suicide attempts that men and women tend to make. Um, women's attempts tend to be more survivable. Guys tend to go for things like driving off a cliff or jumping off a cliff, something uh, generally more violent and permanent. And that seems to be a social cultural Thing. So a lot of um, single occupancy car accidents, fatal car accidents, are probably suicides. Oh, wow. And that's, you, so, just, so that's not a cry for help, that's, I've decided. Or they're all cries for help, but it's just, if you choose a, a method of, mm -hmm. of communicating your distress yeah. that is fatal and permanent... Right. It's really problematic, and it tends to be guys choose fatal permanent methodologies. Wow. Yeah. From which there is little chance of somebody rescuing you. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if you take an overdose, don't take an overdose. If you're listening to this, don't do any of this nonsense. Go and get help. But if you take an overdose, there's a possibility somebody's going to walk in. They can pump your stomach, get you to hospital, and um, if you drive your car off a cliff, 
there's not much that's going to happen mm-hmm. all right and that tends to be a sort of gender difference um, wow. that women tend to choose methods to take their life which leaves the possibility of rescue mm-hmm. and guys tend to choose methods that don't leave the possibility of rescue oh, gosh, is, yeah. so it's just this really unfortunate wow. thing that happens mm. Uh, another reason why guys make up um, the um, high suicide rates um, is that the, the, uh, the this cultural um, sort of undercut something as I said about younger people, um, but there is a slight difference in terms of age. But um, it tends to be guys uh, are less likely to um, have easily accessible routes of. Um, sort of uh, the um, sharing conversation that we talked about. So mm-hmm. there are cultural restrictions on the way guys are, are allowed to discuss issues. Mm. And those cultural restrictions involve things like um, you can generally only talk about stuff um, if it's at another event. So you go and see a football match or you play sports with somebody or you go to a bar with somebody. Then it's okay to go, well, how's it going with your girlfriend? Da, da, da. And then you can start having that chat, which mm-hmm. is this regulatory chat mm-hmm. that we talked mm. about earlier on, where you're producing hormonal responses in the frontal lobes that reduce distress, increase bonding, etc. Mm-hmm. in those contexts. Um, it tends to be, for women, that they have a broader range of culturally acceptable ways of having that type of conversation, which also involve things like explicitly doing it. So it tends to be generally more culturally acceptable for a woman to say to her friend, whether it be male or female, I'm really upset about something. Mm -hmm. Make a phone call, go and do that explicitly. And it generally is less acceptable culturally Mm -hmm. for guys to do that. And so you have to engineer situations in which the bonding can happen. Okay. Um, And particularly during the lockdown, a lot of those um, methodologies, those strategies have been removed. So the football matches, the pubs, of course, yeah, yeah, the work environment, which is another classic environment in which guys would have those types of bonding mm-hmm. conversations, um, have been removed or altered, and probably removed and altered permanently. Yeah, um, but also they were generally quite. Um, uh, they, they, as a strategy, if you're, if I was psychologically going to say something, let's build a strategy in your life that reduces the risk of you. Uh, developing um, some of the more common forms of mental illness, depression, anxiety. I wouldn't advocate those types of strategies of like, oh, I'll, I'll build my resilience around going to football matches with my mates because it's a little bit hit and miss. Yeah, yeah. You really want to be much more thoughtful and structured in your strategies mm-hmm. and build strategies like, well, I'm going to have a regular set of phone calls with people just to keep myself sort of healthy and well. In the same way that, you know, you're going to be fit, physically fit, you're not going to do that by every now and then just going and kicking a ball around the park. You're going to go regularly and do exercise. It's exactly the same with um, emotional fitness and mental wellness. Yeah. It's that if you have regular sort of wellness type activities involved, you reduce the risk of you developing. Now, it just so happens that culturally women tend to have those things built in 
into their social networks, picking up the phone, having meetings, explicitly asking for help from your mates when somebody's pissed you off. Or, mm-hmm. um, or whereas it's less likely that guys, it's not impossible, it's less yeah. likely that guys. So that's another big reason why men end up in situations where they uh, permanently hurt themselves yeah. rather than get help. So, and particularly at the moment, and I think it's relevant right now, um, that we know that guys often, it's still the case that uh, men, although most income, most households in the UK are double income now, it's still the case that men are earning more than women in those households. And the financial responsibility falls on guys much more. Um, we know, for example, we've done the research that shows for every 1% increase in unemployment, there's a 0.8% increase in suicides. And the vast oh, majority right. of those suicides will be men. Jeez. 75% of those suicides will be men. And that's yeah. current research across Europe. Yeah. And so it's a big risk at the moment for guys. That's, yeah. Because of the changes that are going on, the redundancies, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, et cetera, et cetera, that, that, you know, so we've already seen an increase in suicides. Mm-hmm. And it's absolutely predictable at the moment that we're going to see a lot more guys kill themselves. Jeez. A lot more guys going to, because they feel this responsibility and also because they, mm-hmm. they often build their identity. Men will often build their identity in a monocultural way. So esteem and identity is built around yeah. a spec- you know, the work yeah. that I do rather than a range of things. Um, when, as you say, everything is changing at the moment, you know, when that kind of is taken away, what's the effect of that and what will you have to sort of cope with in the next few months ahead? Well, uh, a loss of identity leads, so it's an existential crisis of meaning. Um, am I worth anything? Am I important? Do I exist? Um, do, can I be effective? Am I helpful or am I a burden? Um, so it's fundamentally going to be a real sort of uh, crisis point in terms of who you are as a human being um, and there's two options one is to go under on that or one is to embrace it as mm-hmm. an opportunity to learn and grow and this is moving more into sort of positive psychology models rather than resilience models most psychological therapies are based on resilience models giving you resources and skills um, to avoid damage from adversity whereas psych- positive psychology models say well adversity and damage can be a point of growth Okay, yeah. and you, there are certain specific things you can do uh, which allow you to reframe the experience and actually psychologically grow from it. Um, you will still get damaged, it will happen, you know, um, but it's the concept behind things like post traumatic growth. It doesn't say you didn't have post traumatic experiences, but you've gone beyond them, you've grown and learned from them, and your personality has grown. So, um, if you're in that situation and you suddenly lose. Uh, everything uh, is going to hurt is the first thing mm. and it definitely is going to hurt and you've got to be realistic about that uh, you can do some of the things that i've already suggested around reaching out for help uh, that will help a lot and help build resilience from future uh, but really important things that you can do immediately for example is you can look for meaning and purpose in the struggle okay and if you start to begin to see that there's a bigger picture here that actually maybe this is whatever you want to say as, whether it's nature, whether it's a spiritual connection, whether it's a relief, it doesn't really matter whether it's a light bulb coming on mm-hmm. physically, I'll turn that light on, it has some meaning for me. It doesn't really matter what it is, as long as you attach outside of yourself into something bigger and purposeful. 
Yeah. You can reframe the struggle as uh, something like, well, this is a, a lesson. This is a useful lesson for me and I can learn something from this. Um, then you're not going to go under. I promise you, you're not going to go under. You're going to begin to sort of look at how you can thrive from that. Yeah. Other things, practical things you can do um, is that rather than sit in the struggle and be overcome by it, you can start helping other people. So we know and volunteerism is a, just a fantastic thing to do, not just for the people receiving your services, but for yourself. We know as a human being that it, it actually. So um, there's plenty of opportunities right now for volunteerism. Uh, and if you begin to help other people, it puts your own struggles into perspective. And it also gives meaning and purpose because suddenly you become useful again. Mm. So that piece of shit you thought you were because you'd lost everything and no longer could pay for this and da da da. Well, then there's a bit of your life in which actually you're not. Mm. You are meaningful and purposeful. You're helpful. You're a human being. You're engaged with other people. And not only that, you're watching people who need help more than you do. And you have a perspective, you know, a new framing for it, which goes, oh, well, maybe, okay. There's a context for what's going on for me and it's not so much about it brings it literally brings you out of yourself in a healthy positive way not getting out of your head in that unhealthy way by drinking or taking drugs or or having sex obsessively with somebody or whatever it is that you want to just escape it brings you into connection with somebody who may be struggling more than you and understanding that is really important other things this sounds really hippie but it actually works if you go and do random acts of kindness or love or whatever you want to frame it to people who cannot give it back to you, you will begin to feel better about yourself. Mm. You will begin to feel connected to the human race again. The most important thing to avoid is what we call solipsistic thinking. I'm alone. I'm in this on my own. I'm not connected. We are. That's never the case. Yeah with human beings we are always connected and if you think about this you know no man is an island john don da, 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 da. even an island if you think of an island if you go down enough underneath the sea it's connected to the continent there's always a connection if even if you can't see it mm -hmm. there's a connection between you and other people and that brings it to this other point which is this idea of faith which is not a religious or spiritual sense it's just a, a, it's an irrational belief that things will get better without any evidence whatsoever. <laughs> okay, and just believe that. It doesn't really matter whether you can prove it or not. As soon as I said it, everybody in this room is smiling. Yeah. Why on earth wouldn't you want to smile? Mm. So that was Noel McDermott there talking to myself and Cece on the Manzilla podcast. And it was a really interesting chat that I tell you something. You, when, you, when you pick apart someone who's got that much experience and you hear the, the insights and the, the learnings and the intelligence of you know, what they're talking about in their field, their field that they've studied and, and practiced in for so long, it really does make you sit up and think and, and take stock of things, doesn't it? You know, the diversity of the people around you is really, really important when it comes to how you get your inspiration, what you think about when it comes to your mental health, what you think about you know, when it comes to how you deal with situations that are thrown at you. Um, and right now the situation is completely really, you know, evolving and revolving like anything. Um, I'd love to know how you're, you're doing at the moment in terms of all this, you know, workplace chaos. Uh, it would be really cool to hear from you. So if you do want to leave us a comment in the Manzilla podcast um, pages and the, on the social pages, 
You can do that at Manzilla online on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all the usual platforms and, and uh, YouTube as well. Um, and also on the podcast pages as well if you want to leave a comment. And also you can DM me too. I'm at Gavin, our official. So you're more than welcome to do that too. That would be great. But yeah, absolutely. You know, mental health and well-being is such a fragile thing right now. Um, so yeah, I hope you're doing okay. And if you've got any questions or if you've got any issues you want us to try and put to someone like Noel, for example, you're more than welcome to, to drop us a line about that too. All confidential, of course. Um, we'll try and do our best to put you in the right in the right direction with the right people. Um, so thank you so much for listening. Um, I will see you again next time. I've been Gavin. It's been a pleasure to be with you. This has been the Manzilla Podcast. Have a great day. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.